0: Hello and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And in today's episode, we're going to be reviewing Season 3, Episode 2 of Desperate Housewives, It Takes Two. So in this episode, I will be doing the outline of the episode and explaining it scene by scene, while Joel is going to give us some trivia and research. Do you have anything to start us off with?
1: Sure. Sure. So this episode was written by Kevin Murphy and Jenna Bands and directed by David Grossman and it originally aired on October 1st, 2006. The episode title It Takes Two is a reference to a song of the same name, obviously, from Stephen Sondheim's musical Into the Woods Without Delay. The French title translates to The Perfect Couple, as does the German. Italian translates to It Must Be In Two. And this is the first time I've come across one where the United Kingdom has its own title. I've not seen this before and so I I saved it because I was like, I don't think that's correct. But apparently the United Kingdom's title for this episode is Bridesmaids Revisited. That's really unusual. We've never had that before. Never had that before. And also, as someone that watched it in the UK and owns the box sets for the UK, it's not called that. (laughs) Also, Bridesmaids wasn't even out yet. Like, Bridesmaids Revisited. I just don't get the title. This episode sees a new character being introduced to Desperate Housewives, Josh Henderson joins the cast as Austin McCann. So a few little bits about Josh Henderson. He plays for Hollywood Night's celebrity basketball team. He is a singer and apparently his voice is likened to Justin Timberlake. He was chosen as one of the six winners from um, American Idol. And his band, Scene 23, even recorded an album, but the record label went bankrupt before its released.
0: Oh, damn.
1: Yeah. He's even dated celebrities such as Kaylee Kuoko and Ashley Simpson. Wow. (laughs) Right, right. So, uh, when Orson is cutting the cans from the back of the car, he uses the wrong side of the pocket knife to cut the rope. (laughs) And while preparing for Bree's wedding, Susan is like proper, like she's seen with the full hair curlers in her hair. But actually, at Bree's wedding, her hair is straight. Yeah, I I was
0: actually going to point out later that Pretty much all of the women were in curlers at some point, or at least half of them, actually,
1: mm. now that I think about it.
0: But they didn't all have curly or wavy hair.
1: No, Susan's was like straight, 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 straight. Even her <laughs> hair colors are clumsy. Yeah. So uh, that I've got something else that I'll, I'll, I'll bring up later in the episode, but cool. that's my is, trivia. That's your intro trivia?
0: Yeah. All right, then let's dive into this episode. So previously, Lynette has been battling with Nora for six months and is at the end of her tether. Susan agrees to a date with Ian as she waits for Mike to wake up from his coma. Ugh. Ugh Ugh slut. Make it end. <laughs> Gabby opened up to Carlos about her concerns of becoming a single mother following the drama with Charme last episode. Orson proposed to Brie, and then during their engagement party, Carolyn Bigsby showed up and revealed that his previous wife Alma went missing. The episode ended with a shot of a body being uncovered by the rain. Dun dun, it was Carolyn. It was Carolyn Bigsby. What the mur- that murdered Alma. No, the body. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Bree killed her. <laughs> So, this episode opens with all of the ladies giving their opinions to Bree about all of her wedding choices, whether they are wanted or not. But one thing that the ladies all agree is terrible, but probably aren't allowed to complain about, are the green bridesmaid's dresses that Bree has chosen for them, and that make them all look like a lineup of ground herbs.
1: Oh, see, I wrote, I know Bee will like those dresses. I don't. Because it's green, Bee loves green.
0: You can like any colour, And it can be out of place in a certain circumstance,
1: and this is it. This is not it. Like it's this is not the one. They're they're just a bit bold. Yes, they're a bit bold for bridesmaids dresses. And again, Gabby absolutely looks gorgeous in that green dress. I disagree. Lynette does not because she's too pale. I think Gabby's like beautiful skin tone complements the green quite nicely and then you've got poor old Lynette with her pale skin that really clashes with the bright green and it just, it doesn't go as nicely. I disagree. I have to say I don't think the, this particular
0: colour will look good on anyone to be it, honest.
1: It was just, it was like a lime green.
0: Yeah, not nice. Um, so the ladies are all concerned that Brie's moving a bit too fast, but they offer to help where they can. And then Susan secretly tells Gabby and Lynette that Bree's is making the biggest mistake of her life, referring to potential wife murderer Orson. And Brie overhears this. When she asks what Susan is referring to,
1: she then wussies out from telling Bree the truth, and instead she just says that the dresses are horrendous. Mary Alice has a point. There's one thing you can't comment on, and that's your friend's partner. I, I'm just, I, I take it from someone that has experience in this situation. You can't, to be fair, actually, I didn't speak about the friend's partner. I was just accused of speaking about the friend's partner and she still dropped me as a friend.
0: We then cut to the title sequence, but basically what this intro is setting up is
1: that the ladies want to find a way to talk Brie out of the wedding. Yeah, pretty much. I love how Susan was Orson's friend first and she's the one that turns on him. She's so quick to turn on Orson. All it took was one crazy lady to barge in in the middle of a party to be like, he killed his wife and Susan's like, <gasps>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> good spot babe that's that is true yeah <laughs> so mary alice
0: narrates about the perfect couple and their road to happiness but how these people find themselves on a dead-end road with this we cut to gabby and carlos who are arguing with each other in front of the divorce lawyer about who gets what carlos tries to nick gabby's fries but she ain't having it Gabby wants her pearl necklace back, but Carlos says it was his mother's and not Gabby's. And then the lawyer interrupts their argument, telling them that they have to find a way to deal with each other as they're going to be bound together forever when this child is born. The yep. audacity during an argument to try and nick the other person's fries.
1: Right, that's so rude. You don't do that when you're together. Right? Not when you're divorcing. So Carlos is there like, I- I'm entitled to half of these fries. <laughs> no, I couldn't believe it. I was like, in the middle of an argument, Carlos, you're the worst. This man bleeds bacon grease. <laughs> Plus, they can still be bitter and hate each other. Kids are resilient. It builds character. Exactly. Lynette and Tom are looking after Kayla for the
0: weekend while Nora goes on a trip with a handsy and rough looking man named Turk. Tom doesn't want his daughter hanging around with the man and so worries about him and Nora dating. But Lynette is delighted with Nora getting out of their hair for a bit.
1: Tom is making it so obvious that they're talking about Turk, with all the pointing and like, oh, he, I don't want that man hanging out with my daughter. And I'm just like, Tom, take it down, because Turk looks like he can kick your ass.
0: <laughs> I just love that you're actually pointing on a podcast, I which is- I'm like pointing, I'm, I'm
1: a very famously like- famously
0: an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm
1: just, I'm a very animated person. Well, apparently so is Tom. Yeah, Tom Tom seems to be really animated in this scene. And I don't know what Nora's wearing, but it really complements her boobs. <laughs> her boobs, I swear, Nora's n- boobs have never looked so big. They looked huge in that scene. Love that for Nora.
0: Yeah, this guy's really handsy. So yeah. I can I can see why Tom would be concerned. Oh, yeah. It's not a great thing for your daughter to be seeing all the time. No,
1: he's very, very ballsy. You want a man that's respectful of women around your daughter?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't care about Nora. But around your daughter, right?
1: Yeah, like Kayla doesn't need to see
0: her mum getting felt up. Nah, that ain't the way. Susan and Ian are in a fancy restaurant, and Susan
1: is reluctant to order what she actually wants because of the prices. She goes from a salad to the most expensive shit on that menu. Right? Ian's like, don't worry, they know they're robbing us blind, you can get what you want. And she goes from salad to, like, truffles and the lobster. And I'm like, oh, you bitch, you knew what you were doing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was was clever. (laughs) When they've ordered, Ian sees his coma
0: wife's parents and is absolutely panicked when they walk over to say hi. Susan looks awkward and then Ian introduces her as a doctor who just started at the hospital and for some reason Susan makes the lie even more complicated by saying that she's a brain surgeon and then awkwardly lies when the parents ask her questions about brain surgery. She starts drawing on a napkin and everything explaining the spinal column before she awkwardly pretends to get a phone call and leaves because it all gets a bit
1: too much okay, I'm sorry, babe, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to allow you to put that awkwardness onto Susan when it was Ian that said that Susan was hired on Jane's neurology team. So Susan just had to go along with the lie. Susan was like, yes, I'm... An assistant. I'm a brain surgeon.
0: Like, no, an <laughs> assistant. You say you're an assistant or you do admin. I don't and like, know. And
1: she's drawing on the napkin, like you say, and how long is Ian letting this go on? She drew her whole brain. <laughs> Ian was just sat there watching this happen. The fact that... Ian introduced her as
0: someone from neurology or the neurological department. Maybe they're meant for each other, because was, that's so clumsy. That's
1: a that's a clumsy Susan moment if there ever was one. That's Ian, a, that is yeah. a clumsy
0: Ian moment. Ooh. <laughs> I think I think it warrants it. Yeah. So Bree and Orson have a little dance in the lounge, presumably preparing for the wedding, and Orson notes his concerns with everyone talking about them. Bree calms this by telling him that she doesn't believe the lies that everyone says about Orson, and she has had men lie to her before, and that it won't be happening again. Orson asks if she trusts him completely, and Brie says that she does. Orson, I've moved the
1: furniture back.
0: <laughs> He's like, again? <laughs> Me when I'm setting up Twister. <laughs> Me when I'm vacuuming. Bree's mint-coloured spring dress here is so gorgeous.
1: Yeah, see, that's the kind of green we like, Brie. Yeah, that's the kind of
0: green that I like. Yeah, like a subtle green.
1: When I say I like green, green. I don't mean
0: I like in-your-face green. I don't know, you like limes. For their acidic value in food. (laughs) (laughs) To balance out a dish. (laughs) Brie always looks stunning in a floral spring-type dress. She does. Brie's a very spring kind of girl. We've said it before, but she is the goddess of spring. She is, yeah. So, the body that was from the previous episode has been dug up and is being examined by some detectives and a doctor. The body remains in good condition, apparently, due to being buried in clay. But apparently, it will be hard to identify her, as the coroner says that all of the dead women's teeth have been pulled out. That's so disrespectful. But interesting that this scene is placed right after the scene with Brie saying that she trusts Orson completely. So clearly the show wants you to think that Orson committed this crime.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the way it's going. Orson is a dentist and what do dentists do? They pull out people's teeth. So they're really pushing for this Mm. whole, oh, it looks like it could be Orson.
0: Yeah, especially with this editing. Orson scene, presumably manipulating Brie, cut to a dead body. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Nora is crying on Lynette's porch, so she goes outside to comfort her. Turns out that Nora and Turk had a fight because Nora was being gobby with a waitress, leading to him calling her a whore and threatening to hit her, so she walked out on him. Lynette obviously knows that this Turk guy is an absolute dirtbag, but tries to convince her that she's on the side of love and that Nora should stay with the guy. Nora then reveals that she told Turk's parole officer that he wasn't in Nevada anymore and that she might have to stay the night before crying on Lynette's shoulder.
1: Sorry, but this is not a good look for Lynette. This whole episode is not a good look for Lynette. No, to be fair, no. But this scene in particular is not a very good look for Lynette. I know we want to get Nora out of the way, but let's not push her into a potentially abusive relationship. Right? Like, no, Nobody deserves that. He called her a whore and <laughs> threatened to hit her. Yeah. And Lynette's like, oh, that's
0: fine. Men do that. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, I don't think it's worth throwing this away over a little fight with no hitting. I'm on the side of love. <laughs> <laughs> it's sweet that nora doesn't want to see kayla to see her though yeah i think that's parenting right there that's good parenting like shut the door i don't want kayla to see that i'm a mess because that's parenting you're not letting your child see how much you're struggling it's a stretch but i'll allow it <laughs> i know i think that's good parenting she's like, i don't want kayla to see me this way and Tr- that's true i just think you're giving
0: her a bit of too much credit there when really i think she's just like i don't want anyone to see me cry <laughs> <laughs>
1: but i'm giving nora credit wherever i can okay (laughs) she doesn't get many opportunities so can we just take the little ones that she does get so edie hears someone breaking into
0: her house so she marches out with a shotgun to hold up the criminal turns out it's her nephew austin who joel spoke about earlier she invites him in for beer and he tells her that he fell out with his mom's new boyfriend and after giving the guy a broken nose he decided to visit his favorite aunt edie he wants to stay the night before going to mexico to party but edie says hell no that he's not leaving until he patches things up with his mum. Edie is a queen. Right? Rocking up with that gun in her sexy nightie. Yeah. She's like, freeze. I also love that she goes to hand him the beer and she's like, wait, you're 18, right? And he's like, that's what it says on my ID. And she's like, yeah, mine too. <laughs> you know, they really do want to make you think that Edie and probably her
1: entire family are quite trashy, don't they? Yeah, because Edie's like, your mum does have terrible taste in men. And I was like, well, that seems to run in the family, Edie.
0: Yeah, I also wrote that down as well. I was like, that's a bit ironic. <laughs> like sister, sister much. <laughs> we haven't really got to it yet, but Austin's introduction into the show, I do quite enjoy.
1: Mainly because it's a more of a storyline for Julie later on. Yes, yeah. I think it's nice that Julie seems to get her own sort of... Her own storyline out. Yeah. She's not just sort of like globed onto her mum. But we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. But I also like to see a little bit of Edie's family.
0: I feel like that just shows you that Edie's not like the odd one out. They're all a little bit crazy.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, it's nice to get some more depth to ED, we now can see that ED is a, a real person that has a family out there and people that do care about her. Austin seems to get along well with ED. ED cares about her nephew. I
0: was going to say, she clearly cares about him. She yeah. asks if he's 18, even though she's not too
1: bothered, but she, there's like a little inkling of care there. yeah well no she cares about him because she's not going to let him go to mexico yeah she's and like, she wants gonna... him to patch things up with her sister yeah she's like you're going to stay here until things cool over with your mom but edie's that cool aunt she's not going to care if her nephew's 18 or not because she's just like yeah have a beer i'm that cool aunt that everybody loves yeah i'm the one that you can come over and you can drink booze and you, we can have a laugh and we can watch movies that you're not supposed to watch because you're still too young yeah you see that will probably not be me That'll be me. It'll probably be me except for the alcohol. I'll be like, no, you can't drink alcohol here. No.
0: I ain't cleaning up your vomit. That'll be me.
1: I'll be the cool uncle that's like, yeah, come on, let's let's watch The Exorcist and get pissed. I was <laughs> going to say,
0: you can come round and play Mortal Kombat, but you're not touching my booze. My <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> Gabby sends Xiaome back up to bed, who's coming downstairs because she's bored. When Carlos knocks on the door, he tells her that the divorce lawyer was right and that they have to start getting along, and he hands over his mother's pearls. When he asks for a gesture in return, Gabby invites him to a party that she's throwing for Brie. Carlos sounds ungrateful to be invited to a party in his own house, which he's still paying for, and this is when Gabby asks what kind of return gesture he was hoping for, and Carlos just sort of taps on his cheek. So Gabby gives him a kiss before wiping her lips in disgust and saying the things I'll do for jewellery. Which I, mean, I think is a little bit of a blowjob joke as
1: well, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. We can tell that Gabby's the kind of person that will have done stuff like that in her time to get pretty things. Yeah, Let's we've, we've all been there. We've all been there. Uh has got to eat. But how low we sink in desperate times, girl. Those pearls weren't even that nice. Yeah, but bitches love pearls. Yeah, they seem to. But when he's, like, tapping on his cheek, like, I want a kiss on my cheek for that. I thought, I'd rather be invited to a party. Maybe I love you. But if you call Brie's wedding a party one more time. (laughs) You're not going to be invited. You're not going to get invited. (laughs) Because you're like, oh, um, Gabby invites me to a party. She's throwing for Brie. I was like, the wedding reception.
0: (laughs) So this particular scene as well points to something later on that Carlo says about um, how Gabby's been flirting with him. Mm. But you're the one that kind
1: of initiated that kiss on the cheek. Yeah, and you can clearly tell from her reaction after that kiss that that was not a flirt, like a flirtatious kiss. No, she didn't seem all that into it, especially when she wiped her mouth. Yeah.
0: I just wanted to point that out now and then bear in mind for the future Mm -hmm. because it really gets on my nerves. Yeah, yeah. As with most things that Carlos says and does. Yes. But moving on. Ian visits Susan in Coma Mike's hospital room and awkwardly apologises for introducing her to Jane's parents as a doctor. She takes him outside so that Coma Mike doesn't hear any of this and Susan says that, clearly, he feels guilty of their growing relationship and that they should probably go back to just being friends. Ian says that he doesn't think they can go back to just being friends and Susan says that if they can't be friends then they'll have to be nothing.
1: Ian, it's been one date, man. One date. Calm down. He has fallen head over heels for Susan very quickly. He's just there like, oh, I don't think I can let you go now. And I'm just like, Ian, it's been one day. Calm your ass down, mate.
0: Yeah, he's clearly grown a really strong infatuation towards Susan during this time with Jane being in her coma and talking to Susan so often. So it makes sense that it feels like such a strong connection.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get it. But he'll, like you also have to remember... You barely know her. No, of you course. You've just met her. I get why you've you've developed that connection with the person, because there's not very many people that you will be able to connect with on this kind of level. But it's been one day. It's a complicated situation. I think they both act out really well, though. Oh, yeah. But So I agree with Susan. Yes, Susan, stop this. Stop it right now. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. It works with my fantasy that you stop this and we see no more of Ian. Once Mike's been in a
0: coma for quite a long time, though, she'll probably be a bit more open to pursuing another relationship. Yes. But um, that don't happen. (laughs) No, it doesn't. So, so, Julie finally gets a scene. All of her own, guys. (laughs) She's
1: sitting at a table trying to do homework, but can't concentrate with all the loud music playing outside. Kind of like Joel this morning. Oh, I swear. If our neighbours play, let it go one more time. Frozen was so last decade. She goes out to find a stereo next to a motorcycle and turns down the music when Edie's
0: nephew, Austin, strolls up shirtless and sweaty to see what's happening. She tells him that the music was too loud and that she couldn't concentrate on her homework, a concept that is completely alien to Austin, by the way, doing homework on a Saturday. And he leans in and whispers that he likes it loud before asking Julie how she likes it. (laughs) In response to this not-so-subtle flirtation, she tells him that he's not that hot lies a complete lie by the way a complete lie he is so hot and she walks back home but not without turning to have one last look at the topless boy because
1: julie is a human being right i turned and i was just like he's still hot enough for you to take another glance though isn't he julie right she's so righteous in this moment but she just couldn't help it yeah she's like i've got to have one more look i would like to point out something that i picked up do it with this of the cinematic parallels check me out using the terms between Austin and Edie, so our first introduction to Austin on the lane is the very same as Edie's first introduction on the lane, where was she's it, there. Was she washing washing her car? her car in her bikini, trying to get the attention of Mike? And now we've got Austin working on his bike, topless, getting the attention of Julie. It's a connection between them. Yeah, yeah. You can, I can, I, I get that. So I, I see cinematic parallels there, like family parallels, right there. <laughs> this is how. The Edie family. That's how they roll.
0: That's how they present themselves. Yeah, it's how they roll. You know, that's how they lure in their prey. <laughs> it didn't work
1: for Edie. She didn't lure in Mike at all. No, but she did lure in someone when her house was on fire. She did. And we never really heard anything about him. He's probably dead. No, he went to <laughs> hospital for a smoke inhalation. I remember that much. I'm just joking. But I, I bet he never came back to Edie's again. I'm so happy that Julie has a story here. Oh, yeah. It's only the start, obviously,
0: but it's a start, and we're actually going to get a Julie story that isn't focused around... Susan. ...reacting to
1: Susan. Yeah. It's about bloody time. It is about bloody time. It's taken us three seasons to get... Uh, after, well, we're on the third season. After two seasons, they've clearly seen that Andrea Bowen has some value here. Yeah. she's a good, She's a good little actress. She can bring something to the show from sort of a child, teenager viewpoint because we got andrew and danielle last season that last season was very much an andrew and danielle season you know danielle with matthew and andrew with his trying to get revenge on his mother so now it's about time that we get the spotlight on another desperate housewife child oh i think so and julie is so strong yeah such a strong character and performer Mm. which i guess is more
0: than the writers could say for danielle because they barely give her anything yeah Even last season,
1: when she had more of a focus, she was still barely in it. Yeah. I mean, we get a bit more of Danielle again in this scene, but I think throughout this season as a whole, we really don't get enough Danielle. Right? The whole time I was like, where the hell is Danielle? Yeah.
0: After all of the drama of the finale... And we still haven't seen Danielle. Right, we're on episode two and we've still not really
1: had a shot of Danielle
0: very much. It's weird. You'd think they'd have her recovering from the events and being traumatised,
1: but we get nothing like that. Danielle won't be traumatised at this situation. Her boyfriend was shot. Yeah, she won't be traumatised. She'll just be gutted that she doesn't have a boyfriend anymore.
0: That's (laughs) traumatising. I guess. Lynette is working on Bree's wedding table plans, and Tom sees this and asks who the hell invited Nora. Which is such a Lynette question. That's a Lynette thing to say. Lynette says that she did, so that she can set Nora up with some potential suitors. And Tom panics when he sees that Lynette has placed Nora next to one of his friends, a urologist. But Lynette basically tells him to suck it up and that he can get another urologist. Tom then tells her that she needs to get a grip. And Lynette reacts really strongly to this, telling him that all she wants to hear from him now is, how can I help? And that she's also putting one of Tom's other friends on Nora's table, so he might also want to get a new golf buddy. (laughs) Lynette really is breaking down. Yeah, Lynette's having a bad time. She's very much a breaking point right now. <laughs> I just want to point out, I really loved at the end of this scene when Tom walks away and Lynette mockingly says,
1: oh, get a grip.
0: Like, copy and Tom.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's such a you thing to do. You pull shit like that all the fucking time. Uh, get a grip. <laughs> but also... Um, Lynette's hair is really distracting in this scene. She looks like one of those old ladies from the 50s or something, you know, where they had the hair and then they always had like the little bit of cloth or whatever that's over the hair and then they go to the laundromat while the hair's curling and... Yep, yep. <laughs> so th- from this scene onwards, the women start to have all- the curlers. They're all getting prepared for Bree's wedding. <laughs> they
0: just look so funny. Yeah. I was like, I just couldn't focus on any of the serious aspects because of Lynette's hair. I think curlers in hair look hilarious to me. They just look so funny in that place. <laughs> But that's why people don't normally leave with the curlers in their hair. Well, yeah. So Susan, (laughs) who also has curlers in her hair, by the way, goes out to get her mail and she sees Orson across the street. He is struggling to cut off the strings of cans of his car, so he just casually whips out a penknife and cuts them off with the wrong side of the knife, according to Joel's trivia. And Susan acts like he's crazy for doing that. Before noticing Susan and giving her a friendly little wave, knife still in hand, Susan looks
1: concerned but smiles and waves back before going back inside. She just acts like he's crazy for doing that. Everybody has those moments where it's sensory overload almost and you're trying to do something and it's not working and then you just like, and then you like pull at it or whatever. Everyone has those moments and she's there looking at Orson like, yeah, that proves that he's a wife killer. Right? He carries a pen knife. (gasps) Murderer. It's like when you're trying to untangle your headphones. Yeah. And eventually you just want to pull them apart. Yes. Yeah. This is why you just get wireless headphones now, guys. Also, can I just say, why are there just married cans on the back of Orson's car when they're not married yet? I don't know. I was really questioning that because I thought, why are you cutting these off
0: when you're not married yet? Why are they on your car now? Yeah. It was all very confusing. I really don't get that. I'm guessing they needed a scene where Susan sees Orson doing something that she considers shady and they were like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Let's make him whip out a penknife, but how do we get there? <laughs> right? So Susan then finds Carolyn at the bank, where she works, and asks her to elaborate on the whole Orson killing his wife drama. She says he killed his wife, what do you want? So Susan pleads with her, saying that her best friend is marrying that man in two hours. So Carolyn then tells her, when Alma went missing, police searched the house and found nothing. Apparently Orson had scrubbed every inch of the place clean with bleach, and asks Susan, who cleans a house like that unless he has something to hide?
1: Um, Bree. Bree cleans a house like that. As discussed previously, they're perfect for each other. They are perfect for each other. I'm sorry. But Caroline going, you murdered her. What, what do you want? <laughs> well, yeah. I would need some form of evidence other than just your words. <laughs> Carolyn is a really fantastic side character. <laughs> yeah. I think from
0: this episode onwards, they try and... What's the word? Devalue her character? Or,
1: like, make her out to be... They make her out to be some sort of crazy old bat.
0: Yeah, I think it's really subtle because we've seen what happens. But I think they're trying to make out, like, Carolyn... It's probably just a little bit of a nutter, and that we should really be more on Orson's side. Obviously, you don't get that very strongly in this episode, but I think this is the start of it. Yeah, yeah, she's on the ledge. <laughs> so we are now finally at Bree's wedding, guys. We're here. It's been a long way. Oh no, it hasn't, because I, they rushed things. <laughs> it's been so long.
1: <laughs> they got. He didn't he only propose to her. One episode ago. Yeah, the the proposal was one episode. But then Brie said at the beginning of this episode, it's not easy to plan a wedding in two weeks. So they've literally, it's literally only been two weeks since he proposed. Crazy. Because yeah. the build-up to a wedding could be a whole season, but we've done it in two episodes. I so. would give this gayest moment, but I already gave them gayest moment last episode <laughs> for <laughs> moving too quickly. So... <laughs> All right, so the yeah. ladies are at the church for Brie's wedding
0: now, and Susan is telling Lynette and Gabby all of the gossip while they wait for Brie. Just want to say, those bridesmaids' dresses are so much better. So much better. The deep purple, so much nicer. Oh yeah, 100%. So Susan tells them that Orson was the only suspect in the investigation, and when Gabby asks what they should do, they decide that they have to talk to Brie about it. Bree walks into the room, bouquet in hand, and looking stunning in her wedding dress, yep. naturally. And the ladies tell her that they have to talk to her about Orson. While this is going on, Orson is waiting with Reverend Sykes, who tells Orson not to worry as he knows what women are like. They're probably just fussing over mascara and blush. We then cut back to Brie, who says this.
1: He did not hack her up and dissolve the pieces in acid. I said it was
0: a theory. The point is Alma disappeared under very suspicious circumstances. I don't have time
1: for this. I'm getting married now. This is your day, you can push the ceremony back an hour. Now get that detective on the phone, talk things out with Orson. I can't talk to Orson. It's bad luck for the groom to see the bride before the wedding. Do you know what's really bad luck? Marrying a wife killer. If the three of you don't drop this right now, I will never forgive you.
0: I find it quite funny how the women kind of act like how we would act in this situation. Joel would come up with some crazy theory. (laughs) I said it was a theory. And I would be a bit
1: sarky like, well, it's also bad luck to marry a wife killer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Also, Susan's a bit forward in this moment. I think Susan's just doing what she thinks is best. She's trying to protect her friend, make sure that her friend doesn't, you know, do something that she ultimately will regret. Cause let's face it, Bree's not had the best luck with men. No, and that's not going to change. Mm. But
0: Susan is one of those characters where she's quite shy and reserved and clumsy as fuck. Mm. But when it comes down to it, she's forward and she knows what she wants to do and she's trying to help. Yeah. Very Susan.
1: Yeah, and Susan has a point. Bree could push back the ceremony if she wanted to, to talk to the police and get all the facts, the details, as Mary Alice likes to say. But ultimately, if Bree trusts Orson, then Brie trusts Orson.
0: What did you think of the nice little humour of the cut? Like, the editing, the cut into the next scene was oh, really funny. I
1: thought that was absolutely hilarious.
0: Oh, you know women, they're probably talking about mascara and blush. <laughs> he did not hack up his wife and dissolve her with acid. <laughs> oh, Reverend Sykes, you're so innocent. Right. They tell Bree that she needs to talk to the detective, but Bree refuses and tells them that if they carry on, she'll never forgive them. Susan then says that... They can let her carry on if she can tell them that she doesn't have the slightest doubt. And Bree tells the ladies that she has none whatsoever before walking down the aisle. Bree then walks down the aisle and Reverend Sykes begins the wedding. And then during the, um, the Reverend marrying them or whatever, Bree then stops the
1: ceremony to take Orson to one side for a minute and ask him if he killed his wife. Which I also thought was quite funny. You just know, you know that something like that's going to happen when the wedding march turns into Susan's theme. Yeah, as soon right, as that term, جس- music started playing. Yeah, the wedding march just changed from, you know, du- enfin, <coughs> dun- dann- longtemps- dun- 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 as she's walking down the aisle. And also, who gave Nora that hat? I didn't even see Nora in this scene. Nora, like, stood up. She was there on the camera, stood up next to Tom, and she was wearing this massive hat. Do you remember, I, I seem to always go back to Friends. It's because I'm re it right now. But do you remember that episode where they all go to the beach and Rachel's got that massive hat? <laughs> no. It's that all over again. Nora's hat is huge, and they should have stuck her at the back of the church because that poor sod that stood, stood behind her won't be able to see anything.
0: So Bree says, Did you kill your wife? <laughs> she tells him that Susan spoke to Carolyn and asks why he scrubbed his house so thoroughly following Alma's disappearance. But he assures her that he just, he cleans when he's anxious, and that he didn't kill his wife. So they return to the altar and proceed with the ceremony after what's probably the most awkward wedding I've ever seen in my life. We would be desperate housewives if we didn't get some sort of church drama. It's just, it's very Brie to cause drama at some sort of church ceremony. Yeah. Following the funeral, Rex's funeral, that was awkward. Yeah, you had
1: Brie changing Rex's tie.
0: I love it, I feel like this should be an ongoing gag. I feel like they should purposely put scenes with churches in every season that Bree makes awkward.
1: Well, there wasn't one in season one, but season two had two technically awkward scenes. At least one of them was within a church courtyard. Kind Are you of thinking graveyard. of the second funeral, or the other one? Yeah, there's, there's, you know, the first funeral for X where she changes his tie, and then there's the second one where she like snaps at the girls. I have nothing to be forgiven for. I checked his back for acne. <laughs> there's more church drama in a future season. Trust me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
0: this next scene, well, the entirety of it, I've broken down into the pre-dance and the post-dance. It's a bit. It was hard to write this scene, guys. Yeah, it was. I, I, I'm glad I didn't have to do the <laughs>
1: this, outline of this episode.
0: There was just a lot going on. So I'm going to dive into it. So later on, we're at the, um, the reception, which I'm not allowed to call a party, apparently. So Lynette is looking over at Nora's table, and she's happy that Nora seems so popular with all of the men. However, when Nora approaches Lynette, she tells her that she doesn't know who stuck her on that table, but every man over there is a boring stiff, much to <laughs> Lynette's disappointment. So Nora decides to stay on Lynette's table for the rest of the night. Tragic. God, Lynette. (laughs) Apparently one of them's boring, keeps staring at her boobs, one of them has BO.
1: Yeah. It's like when your friends try and set you up with someone and you're like, are you serious? And they're like, oh my God, he's great. Do you know what it's like? It's like when you meet someone and they're like, oh, I know someone that's perfect for you. He's gay as well. That does not mean that he's perfect for me.
0: Right? Carlos then shows up, and Gabby notes how nice he looks in his suit, but does proceed to sort out his tie, and he also smiles when he sees that Gabby's wearing his mother's pearls. Edie and Austin then show up, and Edie introduces Julie to her nephew, but Julie says they've already met, but she didn't recognise him with a shirt on before walking off a bit snarkily. Austin then tells Edie that Julie wouldn't stop staring at his abs, and he felt really violated before felt, walking off as well.
1: I felt violated.
0: Leaving Edie looking very confused. Mm. <laughs> Susan then walks over and says, hi, Edie, nice party, isn't it? To which Edie responds, it was,
1: and just continues to walk past. I think that's the first time that Susan and Edie have spoken since the hospital scene.
0: Yeah, now that Edie's looking all better
1: as well, but um, I'm going
0: to play the sting. Edie sass. It was. Was that our first sting?
1: I think so. Yeah, Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, bit of Edie sass there. She then walks up to Gabby and Carlos and notes how well they're getting on, to which they say that they've turned a corner. Susan asks if they're getting back together, to which Gabby replies, God, no. And Carlos remains awkwardly silent. Susan can feel how awkward this is, (laughs) which is probably a very natural feeling for her. She's like, oh, I've made this awkward. So she's very used to it. Yeah. She can feel how awkward it is. So she walks off, leaving Gabby to ask Carlos, what made you think that I would even consider taking you back? Powerful. And Carlos says that he was invited as her date, and that she's been flirting. Guest, Carlos. I said guest. Okay, here's here's the, what I have to say about this. First of all, you can't consider the cheek kiss thing flirting. You initiated it and you gave her jewellery. Mm. But also, you guys were married and you were in a loving relationship for a long time. So if Gabby comes across as naturally affectionate towards you, you can't boil that down to her acting flirtatious with you as if she wants to get back with you. That's really unfair on Gabby. Yeah, The way that people act in their life, and the way that they've been acting their whole life, isn't something that you can just undo like that, Carlos. Yeah. That's what I want to say about that.
1: That was my little rant. That was his his next Carlos rant. What do you think? I mean, he, they've only been there for two minutes. They've literally been there for two minutes, and he's like, you've been flirting with me since we got here. So, not very long, then. All she did was fix his tie. <laughs> I don't really think that constitutes this flirting. No, I don't think so. Susan then sees Ian at the party, which was a bit of a
0: surprise. It's just a bit sad, really. Who tells her that he can't stop thinking about her and about how great they'd be together and asks if they can talk about it. But Susan says that she has bridesmaid stuff and walks
1: off. His excuse, his excuse for coming to this wedding is what's sad. Yeah, not, It's not sad that Ian's here, I and mean, it is sad that Ian's here, but his excuse is what's sad. Oh, my my cousin is Orson's dental hygienist, and her husband um got a spot of impetigo, so he couldn't go. And so she invited me, knowing I enjoy a good garter toss. No one says garter toss, Ian. I don't even know what that means. It sounds dirty. I well, a garter's, into it. a garter's what the bride wears around her thigh.
0: Damn it. Not very dirty, then.
1: No. Um, A garter toss is what the bride wears. Well, garter is what the bride wears around her thigh. I'm assuming at the end of the wedding, she like takes it off and like tosses it. I don't know. He very quickly told her that he was lying though, because he knew how ridiculous it all sounded. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of a pathetic lie. And just say, you're obsessed with her. You can't let her go. And now you're a stalker.
0: Gabby then flirts with one of the staff, who reveals that he actually has a boyfriend. It's not going to work with me, love. I'm gay.
1: (laughs) It's not going to work with me, love. I'm gay. (laughs) Only Gabby, only Gabby would find the only cute gay guy in this entire wedding to flirt with. So Gabby
0: just tells him that she needs to make Carlos jealous and to follow her lead. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh my god, is Carlos going to punch the guy?
1: Oh, oh god, another gay man!
0: (laughs) I thought it was going to continue the ongoing gag of Carlos beating up gay people, which upon reflection nowadays, is it, it gets less and less funny. Because the more that you watch it and you see that the joke is around how gay men are being beaten up, it becomes less funny. But I did think, are they going to continue this gag and he's going to punch him? Luckily, that doesn't happen, guys. I love the gay guy, though. And he's just like, right,
1: um, should I cup your boob? <laughs> no, I'll drive. <laughs> yeah, that's such a like 12-year-old straight boy thing to think. well he's he's gay he doesn't know what to do he's like okay i've got a flirt with a woman what do i do cup your boob like that would be me that would be me (laughs) but no don't touch her areas (laughs) well he asked instead of just going for a boob being like yeah sure i'll flirt with you and grab her boob he's like what do you want me to do do you want me to cup your boob and she's like no i'll drive cool okay i'll take a back seat you do you yeah gotta give him that carlos
0: goes to the bar for a drink and asks if there's any single women here
1: and the bartender says no or that he hasn't seen any anyway. Rude. That barman just read the wedding to filth. Well, he's like, I don't. He's, he's probably like, just like, I don't know. You know, he t- he's Carlos comes over and says, because i note about it, Carlos comes over and he's like, are there any, like, decent single women at this wedding? And the barman goes, not that I've seen. And that is she! <laughs> lads, 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 lads. <laughs> but Lynette
0: overhears this and invites him over to her, her table with Nora. Tom then announces that it's time for Brian and Orson's first dance because Tom is doing the, um the microphone speaky parts, mm. which makes complete sense following last season or the season before with the charity walk.
1: Season one, yeah. And also, he was the oh, announcer. Was to Tom, yeah, was like the announcer and he was living his best, like, I don't know, announcer life, Dermot O'Leary and, and Deck. Presentary. Presentary life,
0: yeah. I thought that was actually some really nice continuity. Mm. Like, um in one season, he's done this before and they followed it through. Like, well, naturally... Brie would think he was so good at that that she'd asked him to do our wedding or something. That yeah, was cool.
1: because even like, in the
0: charity ball, Lynette was like, look at him, he's he's a natural up there. So Tom announces that it's time for Brie and Orson's first dance and he introduces them as Mr. and Mrs. Hodge. They dance together and Bree notes that Orson looks quite serious and asks if he's upset about the ceremony, to which he basically says yes. What, do you mean the part where you asked me if I killed my wife? No, <laughs> not at all. And then the, the next bit I've got is post-dance. So that was all the pre-dance, as in before... Brian Olson's first dance yeah this scene is a lot guys but I liked it I really like those quick fire little moments between characters in a scene I love it I, I like them I just don't like writing about them no it's damn hard to write about yeah <laughs> so after they finish dancing almost everyone else is up on the dance floor Tom tells Lynette that she's probably going to hell for setting up Nora and Carlos who are currently dancing together and Lynette says that he cheated on her friend so he deserves all the crazy that he's going to get from Nora We then have a little transition and we cut to a slow song and Nora and Carlos end up kissing. Gross. Much to Gabby's dismay who decides to make a scene. Yeah. Naturally. She walks over and pulls them apart from each other and asks Nora who the hell invited her anyway. Tom points out how bad this is, but Lynette says that they can't blame it on them anyway until Nora points directly at Lynette and says, it was her. (laughs) And Gabby responds, Lynette Scavo, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Lynette walks off and Gabby and Carlos continue to argue. Carlos wants his mum's pearls back. Gabby's fighting him off, which results in the necklace breaking and the pearls go everywhere. Jame then shows up, and when Gabby asks what she wants, Jame's water
1: breaks. yeah all over the pearls and the floor. all and... over the floor. Oh Well, that was something That was something. How Lynette thinks that they can't pin it on her, I'll never know. right, but I loved Nora is just
0: so funny when she says things. She just says things in such a weird way, mm. I mean, I know she's a character in a TV show, but it's like the writers want you to know that she's a character in a TV show. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they don't make her seem like a real person like they do the rest of them. Nora's like a caricature. Yeah. Oh, they can't pin it on me anyway. It was, was her! <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, after all of Jarmeh's fluids have been cleaned up and all of the pearls swept away, we have some speeches. Ian then decides to give a speech, much to Brian and Orson's confusion, who are both like, I thought he was on your side. (laughs) Ian, now's not the time. And says that he has discovered that when you find love, you should go with it. You should go with your heart. Tom then says the speeches are over and tells the DJ to, you know, play the music and stuff. But Susan decides that she also wants to turn out giving a speech. She gives some loving words to Brian and Orson, saying that they'll go into this marriage wiser than before, but also with caution before turning to Ian, and saying that sometimes love can be selfish and the best thing you can do is walk away. She realises how this might sound out of context so she turns back to brian orson and says but not you two you two are great tom thinks that the speeches are over but once again is interrupted by ian who says that he can't give up on love before tom continues he asks susan if she has anything else to say but susan just smiles and says no everyone continues dancing and susan and ian smile at each other from across the room so he's
1: he's finally won susan over here Mm. and this scene gave me bridesmaids vibes why, with the constant speech going. Yeah. Consuela, so speaking, speaking of Consuela, Lillian and I took Spanish together. Yeah, every time one <laughs> of them's done, the other comes up and she's like, give me that, give, give me the microphone. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just found it to be empty words. Empty words, it was uncomfortable. Ian, why are you even here? You weren't invited, you glommed onto this wedding. Because you're stalking Susan and it's awkward and uncomfortable and not necessary. Susan has said no, let it go. Also, guys, listeners, ladies and gents and in-between
0: and others, I swear this would only ever happen in a comedy show. Yeah. This kind of, these two people are basically interacting with each other, but through the the medium of speech. Yes. A speech at a wedding. I was about to I mean, most people interact with each other through the medium of speech. But... <laughs> But Brie and Orson don't, like, call them out, like, "Um, why are you guys doing this and making my wedding some sort of sham? Yeah. But obviously that would only happen in a show, because I think in real life,
1: if you guys did this, someone like Brie would be like, Susan, what the hell were you playing at? I would be like that. I would be that person to be like, have you literally just made a fool of yourself at my wedding? (laughs) However... Listeners, I would love to hear some crazy wedding stories where something like this has happened, please. Oh, yeah. If you've had anything like this happen at a wedding that you were at, where it's not just a comedy show, (laughs) then let us know. I remember at my sister's wedding, I did my dad's speech
0: for him because Mm -hmm. he wasn't feeling very well. And that was awkward. Why? I don't know. It felt really weird giving a speech at a wedding. Also, afterwards, um, when uh, my brother-in-law looked back at the video, he said that I could be a prime minister because of how... Well spoken, I
1: was. At my brother's wedding, I was the best man. So I had to give the best man speech. And I think it went on for about 15 minutes, my speech. I think you're the best man anyway, you are. Oh, thank you. I just got (laughs) laughed at for how long my speech went on. Because I, I had this whole speech written out. I wrote it down, had it all ready months in advance. And then when it came to the wedding day, hated it. I was like, this speech is awful. So I like put took the speech out of my little like pocket of my suit. And was like, I had a speech written down. And I like, crumpled it up in front of everyone. And was just like, but I'm not going to do it because I hate it. And I just riffed. <laughs> and then my the problem with that was I just didn't know <laughs> when to stop. You went on for 15 minutes. And so I went on for about 15 minutes just chatting. <laughs> so not in the wedding video. You just had a chapter. So yeah, pretty much Joel's speech. So um, I was forever known at my brother's wedding for (laughs) for taking the longest time to get from point A to point B. I guess I was also the videographer for my sister's
0: wedding. Obviously, I couldn't do that while I was doing the speech because I had to I had to walk up to the table. Mm. I was also quite young at the time, and the more I drank, the more drunk I got. Obviously. (laughs) So you could tell that later on towards the end of the wedding video, the camera was getting shakier and shakier.
1: Oh, God. If you're the wedding videographer, babe, you shouldn't be drinking. I was a teenager. Exactly. How was I to know? I'm just looking. I'm giving him a look, listeners. You're not going to see this, but I'm just giving him a look. How am I to know that alcohol gets me drunk? No, but I just didn't think about the ramifications of my actions. You don't really when you're a teenager. Exactly. But I think it's hilarious to look back on. He's just there at the bar, camera in one hand, shot in another. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right?
1: I will say, however, the wedding
0: video turned out great. I was really proud of it. I even edited a really nice montage at the end of really nice parts throughout the video, but mm. I did them in slow motion in black and white over the, their first dance song, mm. which was Falling in Love With You by Elvis.
1: Oh, I love that song. Especially
0: when they, they watched it, and I was getting these messages saying that the bit at the end was making her cry, but also laugh, because there was parts of them dancing and kissing in slow motion, but also parts of Ryan being, well, being Ryan. Yeah. Lynette shows up to the hospital, where Gabby is stewing with her magazine in the waiting room, and apologises to Gabby, who's still mad at her. Gabby says that Carlos is never fair game, and Lynette opens up to Gabby about how incredibly unhappy she is at the moment, talking about how she can barely fake a smile with Nora around, and the more Nora pushes, the more she resents Tom, and that she worries that this anger will fester. But before she can finish, Gabby tells her that her and Tom will survive this, as some marriages are built to last, and some aren't. And that she knows the difference. <sighs> Lynette only turned on the waterworks because she knew full well that Gabby had a point. But I think this was a really nice moment. It the was op- a nice moment. Opening up to her friend and just laying it all out there. It's it's just nice to especially see Lynette and Gabby opening up with each other. Because,
1: you know, the actresses were so close in real yeah, life. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. And so it was a nice moment. But I'm sorry, Gabby is right. Carlos will never be fair game. No, of course not. But she had, that's why she
0: was apologising. Because she knew what she did was wrong. Yeah. Back at the wedding, Brian and Orson have just cut the wedding cake when Detective Ridley, from earlier, who was examining the body, shows up and says that he needs to talk to Orson and that they've just found his last wife's body. This wedding is so dramatic.
1: Right? This is the most dramatic wedding ever. <laughs> right? It's got like acid and um, bumbly music, giant hats, ambionic fluid. Flying pearls, flying
0: liquids. Yeah. So while that's happening, Xiao is giving birth at the hospital with Gabby and Carlos by her side and nearly crying at the soon to be arrival of their baby. They apologize to each other for everything. And Gabby forgives Carlos for everything as well. And then the baby finally arrives. It's the moment we've all been waiting for, guys. Carlos grabs his camera and records as the baby is held into the air. And then Gabby looks absolutely shocked when she sees that the baby is black.
1: Black. How does that happen?
0: Well, I can know it's explained. I was going like, to say, allow me to explain. How does it happen? <laughs> Carlos reluctantly says that he needs to get the colour fixed on the camera before looking up and discovering that the problem lies not in the viewfinder. I'll check you out with the terminology. So, I'll just say it. That was really funny. But. Before we jump to conclusions, Xiaomei didn't just sleep around as I just as I had expected because I didn't like her at the time. Yeah. Um, so Gabby and Carlos are talking to one of the doctors, and it turns out that Gabby and Carlos's embryo was accidentally swapped with another client's, hence why the baby was black. Yeah. And obviously Jane the Virgin loved this story idea and made a whole show of it. Yeah. But that's a whole another matter. Gabby and Carlos still remain hopeful as they ask, so if we got their baby, then. They got ours. And then it's possible until the doctor basically crushes their hopes and says that their embryo didn't take. Yeah. He apologises. He says that it's rare, but it does happen. Gabby is very frustrated and angry at this whole thing and she storms off.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. I would say it was wise to, for the hospital to have their attorney present. Well, I mean, another and, one? Another one. And she's also allowed to react this way. Like, the hospital dude was like, oh, please, Mr. Solis. It is horrible. These things happen. And I'm just like, yeah, but she's also allowed to react this way. I just feel so bad for Gabby and Carlos in this moment. Again, their heart, their hopes are just shattered. Yeah. Why like, does just, this keep happening? I just It's so upsetting. I've got notes about this later. Writers, but... what are you doing to us, man? Yeah.
0: At least this was a good little starting point for Gabby and Carlos's... Forgiveness path. Yeah. I guess. So Detective Ridley brings Bree and Orson into the room to show Orson the body that they uncovered, but Orson tells him that that is not Alma. Carolyn then walks in,
1: much to Orson's surprise, and she also confirms that that is not Alma. This must be a real moot killer. Like, Orson knows he's not getting wedding sex tonight now, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, Orson's not getting sex now (laughs) after all of this. The detective says that it's
0: basically settled, but Carolyn isn't convinced and says that this proves nothing. And she's kinda of got a point. It doesn't prove anything. It doesn't
1: prove anything. But what, the, will, what is this detective talking about? I will point out that there is a very brief look from Orson where he was worried that Caroline 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 would recognise her. Oh yeah, definitely. Like there was when they lifted it there was they had a quick shot of Orson and that like it was there was a flash of fear there.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of worrying that the detective didn't spot that. Yeah. <laughs> and Bree basically just tells her to leave. When she leaves, Orson apologises and Bree says it's fine and that they should go back to their guests and pretend that none of this ever happened. They leave the body, but not before Orson turns around and says, Don't Monique. Who's Monique? I don't know what that means, but he's... Um, he farewell
1: just... or good night or something. So he's basically saying, goodbye, Monique. Yeah. Oh, With That the is co- shady. With the coroner right there, by the way. Shady. He's literally just turned to say, I've got no idea who that is. That's not Omar. And then goes to leave and the coroner is still in that room. And he's like, do Monique. What are you doing, show? What is Orson's drama? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> who's this Monique? I don't know, but
0: this just builds another layer on top of the mystery. Because at first you're like, oh, it's not Alma, it's just some other
1: random dead body. Yeah, but you, you, get, you... you get that for five minutes. You get that, not even for five minutes, it's like two minutes of, oh, it's not Alma. And then yeah. all of a sudden
0: it's something else. <laughs> well, because at first you're probably like, it's not Alma. Then why did they make a big deal about this body being uncovered? <laughs> yeah. But when he turns around, it's like, wait, who's Monique? What's happening? Mm. <laughs> So this, this is just another layer on top of the drama, which yes. is so delicious. Gabby and Carlos have driven back home and they're having a conversation in the car. They seem to be sad together, and Carlos notes that at least the divorce will be easier without the baby. They say their goodbyes and Gabby leaves the car to go into her house. The episode then ends with Mary Alice narrating about soulmates. She talks about the soulmates who, whose love never dies as Carlos and Gabby exchange one last look at each other. The two lovers whose relationship is never friend, and we see Lynette standing over a sleeping Tom looking exhausted and unhappy. Pulling her best Matthew from season two impression. (laughs) Yeah. The husband and wife who trust each other completely, and we see Orson opening the front door for Brie, who walks in and as she walks past Orson, we see the smile fall from her face. We then see a shot of Susan and Ian dancing together, still at the wedding reception, as Mary Alice introduces us to the perfect couple, and the shot pans over to the plastic figures atop the wedding cake. She ends the episode by saying, how do they remain so perfect, you ask? Well, for starters, they don't
1: have to look at each other. That's such a shitty ending. <laughs> Our oh, true love. And it only works because they don't look at each other. Yeah. And then that is where the episode fades to black. Yeah. It was really sad that Gabby and Carlos just went through all of that. They still don't get a baby. Like their second attempt is still a failure. Yeah. And then there's that last lingering look between the two. They, they are so still in love. Yeah, clearly. And Susan and Ian have clearly decided to give it another go. Oh, there's always that couple, isn't there, that stays until the very end of the wedding. But like the people are there packing up the reception at Gabby's house. And there's still that couple on the dance floor that just don't get that the night is over. Go home. So let's move on to our next segment where Joel is going to give us the most gayest moment of the episode. <laughs> oh, I forgot the little bit of trivia I was going to pepper in. Oh, to the episode. Um, that is now it. We are done with Gwendolyn Yao. That Charmé. was the last That Jaume. was the last shot we ever get of Jaume. Well, she... We don't see her anymore. She gives birth to that baby and Gabby's like, right, you're done. Bye. Yeah, she's an American citizen now so she can just go off. Yeah, so... Um, Good for you, girl. Yeah, there we go. That was. The... I'm kind of sad about that. I really like Charme. I liked Jaume at first. I thought she was quite a funny character. A I nice mean, she addition. still was a funny character towards the end. Yeah, she was a funny character
0: but all I will say about her is... What a bitch.
1: <laughs> that's cruel, using her own words against her. Yeah. <laughs> God, she became awful towards Gabby. She did, she really did. But, but yeah, so that's it, we're done now. Gwendolyn Yao though, great job. Honestly. Great job, great job Gwendolyn Yao. You, you did, Xiaomei, you did Desperate Housewives proud of that performance. So babe, let's move on to your segment for the gayest moment. And what do you have for us today? The gayest moment. I have two again. So I'm going to do the one and then I'll do an honorary mention because I love them both. Okay. So fine. my award for gayest moment goes to Susan for wanting to only eat a salad when she's on a date. <laughs> that is... That is uh, big gay energy and I don't think I need to explain why. <laughs> no, that's
0: not. My uh, mum my listens to this podcast. <laughs> So that's that. I was like, big energy. Actually, you know what? I feel like women will understand it as well. You don't want to eat something heavy like that before you have to be open and available.
1: Yeah, yeah. You don't want to get bloated. Granted, Susan jumps straight onto the big meal as soon as Ian says it's okay. (laughs) But there was that brief moment there where she only wanted a salad and that in that brief moment was big energy. Yeah, well, Susan's a clumsy character. So it wouldn't surprise me if she ate like A whole lasagna. Yeah, before... (laughs) But honorary mention for Big Energy does go to Nora, who in an emotional moment ruins her ex's life. (laughs) Guess who's not in Nevada no more? Click. (laughs) (laughs) That's big gay energy as well, I say. 100%, I completely agree. (laughs) Spitefully going up against an ex. (laughs) Yeah, like, if I can't have you, I will bring you down. Exactly, so that was also big energy, but the award goes to Susan. Are you also doing Straightest Moment? I am doing Straightest Moment. So my award for Straightest Moment (laughs) goes to Turk for Copping a Feel of Nora's Ass in Plain Sight. Oh, just any Turk moment on screen was such a straight moment. <laughs> that was the only Turk moment we got on screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so congratulations, Turk and season for those awards. Bravo. Good job, guys. So we now move on to B segment four, best and worst parents. So babe, who do you have for best parent this episode? Uh, quite controversially, there isn't either. There isn't an award for either of them? No, they're just- There wasn't really parenting. There wasn't any. There wasn't really any parenting. The Did th- you have
0: like a, another award? The very closest thing to parenting I could possibly think
1: of was Edie as an auntie, but I just couldn't find a way to incorporate it. I mean, no, because parents come in different shapes and sizes, like in different forms, you know. So Edie taking care of Austin could be considered parenting. Granted, she gave him a beer when he was underage, so I don't know if Edie would fall under the category of good or bad. Both. (laughs) (laughs) My award
0: for the best wedding attendant goes to Orson for um, just carrying on after being accused of murder. Like, good for you. Shrug it off. And my award for the worst wedding attendant goes to Bree for accusing
1: Orson of murder (laughs) and just disrupting the whole ceremony. (laughs) I would like to point out, because I didn't mention it in the episode, actually, but I will point out, where was Orson's family? Um, We saw none of Orson's family. Oh, more shady Orson. Orson. And yeah, maybe they all died in like a tragic plane accident. Maybe they all rented like a private jet and it tragically went down or something. Who knows? It could happen. But But it's just a theory. That's even more Shady Orson stuff right there. Right?
0: So that brings us to the end of the episode. That was the end of season three, episode two, It Takes Two. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which was previously known as iTunes for a little
1: tech throwback. Other than that, Joel, where can people find us on our socials? You can find us on Instagram at BoyfriendsReview, and you can find us on Twitter at bfs review. We also have
0: email, which is at outlook.com, and all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him on Instagram at design, where he also has a link to his Etsy page, because he does do commissions. And um, yes, yeah, please do send in your questions, comments, queries, theories. We... We love interacting with you guys. It's been really fun. And it's just very exciting starting this new season and being able to have a chat with everyone about it. Yeah. So join us next week. We'll be back in your ears. And Joel is going to be breaking down season three, episode three, a weekend in the country. Yep. We'll see you then.
1: We will see you then, guys. Have a good week.
0: Bye.